All right. Well, we want to welcome everybody to the Metaphysical Mysteries podcast. Uh, we got Tom and Terry here hosting, and we have a guest here with us for today, um, Gwendolyn Natish. She is a shaman. And for those of you who have no idea what that is, you're going to find out today. So, you know, what is the Metaphysical Mysteries podcast all about? Well, of course, it's the most exciting time of your day. That's number one. And uh, uh, Tom and I try to explore all those things that are beyond physical, the things that bridge science as well as spirituality and everything in between. I think that uh, as we go through these, we're going to have lots of different guests coming from both sides of that, spirituality as well as science and and uh, we're going to try to do our very best to bring that information to you in a way that's succinct, a little bit fun, and uh, also has a lot of, uh, uh, you know, good quality information uh, behind all the science. So, Tom, you got anything to start out with? Yeah, no, I'm just excited to get this off the ground and get it rolling. This is our inaugural podcast. Uh, it's really exciting that Gwen has decided to join us in this endeavor to help us kick this off. And we're really looking forward to what she has to share with all of us today. Very good. Hey, Gwen, let's just do uh, introductions so people know kind of who you are, where you're from, that kind of thing. And then we'll get rocking and rolling on the topic. Sure. Um, um, I'm Gwendolyn Nadish. And mm -hmm. For a lot of my life, I was an educator. This um, is a special needs educator. And um, began practicing shamanism in 1989 um, as a personal spiritual practice. And when I uh, retired as an educator, uh, little did I know that I would be called to become a shamanic practitioner. I never dreamed of being that, never even occurred to me. So I was quite surprised. And so I began the path, you know, in a larger way as, as, a, as a healing uh, person. A medicine person and before that it had been a personal spiritual path that I had have lived for many many years over three decades and so I've been in uh, had a shamanic healing practice now for about a decade and I am in New Bern North Carolina um, due to COVID I had a brick-and-mortar had a center which is now closed and the center is now a virtual center <laughs> which is great um, and so I do offer, you know, shaman healing and all those wonderful things that shamans do, ceremony and land clearing and house clearing. And, and I also was trained for four years as a medium. So I also do intuitive readings and, and those kinds of things. Very good. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, in a nutshell. Well, I can say from personal experience, having uh, experienced uh, uh, some of Gwen's uh, mediumship, uh, excellent. Absolutely excellent. She knows exactly what she's doing. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting field, that in and of itself. But um, as it relates to a shaman, I mean, what, what is the history of, of shamanic practices? How far back in history does that actually go? And what's the American shaman actually look like? Well, that's great questions. So, you know, some in the field would argue, you know, it began 10,000 ago and some would say oh it began 40,000 years ago and I say it began the minute man stepped on earth whatever creation story you want to follow with that one because you know the practice of shamanism we have a title or a name for it now but it's as organic as breathing so I think it's been with man since the beginning and so what was your second question um, what, what is the, I mean, obviously we're in, yeah, in America, so what's the American shamanistic movement, or, or if there is such, or how many people do even do, does this kind of work? I mean, I don't think people know exactly what they do, or, and even more so, um, after you explain that, you know, why would I come to you for your practice? I mean. Yeah, great. Um, well, yeah, I love this question, because uh, what a modern-day um, shamanic practitioner looks like is they look like just you or me, <laughs> right? And the, way, the reason I think it's funny to talk about it is because sometimes people think 
that, you know, they've seen a lot of pictures in maybe National Geographic or in documentaries of shamans, and they look, they look very different than we do, right? So I've been trained in three different shamanic uh, frameworks. Um, and one of them is Siberian shamanism. And one of the things that, you know, we learn about in that is we, we make our tools, our healing tools. And one of the tools is to create what is called a, a shamanic eye curtain. So it's literally like fringe over your eyes. It has a very specific purpose. And that purpose is that you see both worlds. You see the invisible world behind the eye curtain, and you also see ordinary reality, which is everyday life. You know, you see your client sitting across from you and that kind of thing. And so I, you know, I, I think it's funny because if I dressed like that, it would probably scare the bejeebies out of people. If I came in like the traditional kind of ancient shamanic clothing, I probably would have very few clients. So the modern day shaman looks just like the modern day, you know, chiropractor, the modern day dentist. Uh, they, you know, just look like we do. And shamanism is nothing if it isn't brought into um, modernity as a living way of healing and working with individuals. So I, I think that people think of uh, shaman as like, some kind of a Native American medicine man? Is that what it is or? Yeah, it is that. So, you know, around the globe, uh, we find shamanism. And, and so this is really sort of a, a multi-tiered answer to this question. So the shaman in, or the medicine, so shaman, medicine person, they're the, basically the same thing, Okay. right? So we have shamanism and medicine peoples all over the globe. And when we look at them from the outside, they all look different. They look really different. Like, you know, why in Peru are they doing, you know, this, this dance? And why are they using these tools? And why are they working with these animals, right? And then you go to Siberia and you're like, well, you know, why is the seal so important to them? And, you know, you know why are they wearing these clothing? you know, these pieces of clothing. And it's all based on the culture and the environment that shamanism grows out of. So in shamanism, we work very much with the environment, with the plants, with the animals, with the elements. And so what you find in the environment in Siberia is very, very different than what you'll find in South Africa, let's say. And so looking on the surface of it, it looks like it, they're two very, very different things. But in shamanism, we can actually, to know if it's shamanism, um, you can find some basic core pieces that are found in every uh, shamanic group or peoples. And, and so that's how we know that it's shamanism. And I think with medicine peoples, you know, there are different things besides shamanism as well. But you also find in those other healing medicine peoples similar things. Okay, well, so who would come to a shaman and for what reason would they come to a shaman? Yeah, any reason really. So they can come for, you know, I can't find the love of my life. Um, I, I keep ending up in the same relationship. They can come for physical illness. They can come to deal with depression, um, a sense of emptiness in their life. Um, they can come for anything. Okay. You know, we as, as a shamanic practitioner, I don't diagnose. I'm not a physician. I'm not trained as a physician. I have very clear ethical boundaries about that. Um, but I, I deal in soul healing which is very different. Mm -hmm. uh, it impacts the physical, very deep level, but we don't come from that um, place, uh, like as, as, as physicians do, where we diagnose and then we work with the body. No, we work um, on what I call the energetic field, or the, in the energetic field or on the energetic level, so that I'm actually working in a person's energy field. Mm -hmm. So from a scientific point of view, I mean, we would maybe call that an auric field and or something to that nature. They say there's seven layers to that energy field. I think 
modern science is obviously picking up on that now, but this is ancient, ancient stuff that, uh, you know, medicine men and women from the old times knew that this was a possibility. And, well, obviously, if they broke their leg, they couldn't go to a modern ER and get their legs set. I mean, somebody had to help them at the physical level. Um, yes, you're absolutely. Working, you're working at kind of the spiritual. I always tell people there's, you know, three different kinds of bodies. You've got your, number one, your physical body. Number two, your emotional, mental body. And then lastly, is your spiritual body. And then you start at the top there and affect that. Then the rest of them, like a waterfall down the line, they get affected as well. That's right. I, that's, I, I agree with you. And the words that I use for it is that when I work on the energetic level for a client, I'm actually going to the blueprint, yeah. right? The, the blueprint of perfection, really. We're born as souls in, in this perfect state. And we come into human incarnation and we kind of dust it all up <laughs> purposefully, you know, for our own evolution, our own exploration, and so the work that I do, I really see it as going to that blueprint with a little broom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we clear it out or clear it away, transform it. And the perfection, the original design now can come through and manifest in your life and in your body and in your heart and in your mind. Okay. Well, you know, I kind of live in the Bible Belt, beautiful Southern Illinois. Tom's over in Boston, so we come from kind of a different cultural uh, perspective. And uh, from the, um, well, it's to the Bible, it's a Judeo-Christian, you know, world as far as America goes. Um, how would you relate what this does to things that may be uh, wrote about, you know, documented in the Bible with healings and so forth that uh, maybe Jesus did or, or the apostles or whoever? Is there, is there some correlation? Oh, I don't, you know, a lot of people say Jesus was a shaman. Yep, <laughs> you know, when you that. start reading through the yep. Bible, you're like, oh, wow, look at that. I recognize that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think anyone who really is doing healing work, I mean, authentically doing healing work, um, they're doing healing work. You know, we can name it, we can, we can put a label on it, a description on it, but I think it's, it all comes from the same place. Right. And I think, you know, people feel comfortable with their own definitions, with their own kind of tools. And I think that's all great. But I think what Jesus did, you know, he said, what was it, Terry? You know the quote, um, even greater, you shall do even greater works than I, right? Yeah, yeah. It, basically, yeah, what I do, you shall do in greater. Right. Yeah. So I kind of see it that, you know, he was on the world stage, right? He was, he was no the doubt. Christ on the world stage saying, we can heal and, I, and you can witness the healing through right. me and, and you shall take this and you shall heal. You know. Giving you encouragement to do it yourself. Yes, yeah. exactly. You know, which is when I do healing work, the work that I do um, in my sessions with clients is really based on the Peruvian shamanism. And in that sort of cosmology and way of looking at the world, they believe that we are comprised in our energy field of beliefs, which are patterns of energy that either serve us or they don't. Okay. So we can have experiences in life that we either react to or that we respond to. So the experiences that we respond to generally are beautiful experiences that harm us. You know, oh, you know, I was, I got an award at work and they threw a dinner for me and they gave me, you know, this thing, this plaque and they applauded me and they recognized me. And, and I walk away from that experience feeling affirmed and stronger. And it's the same if we have an experience that is traumatic hurtful, confusing, creates a dilemma. Only we walk away with a reaction. And in both of these scenarios, we create stories about ourselves and about the world. And so if I walk away from a traumatic or a hurt situation, I have a story that does not serve me. I have sort of a contract within me. You know, this happened, and so I'm this, and then this awful thing is always going to happen to me. And so in the work that I do, I'm working on the energetic level in someone's energy field 
transforming those stories, those beliefs. Absolutely. And I always tell people the only way you can be affected by uh, an input is you have to apply a value to it or an emotion to it to make it something positive or negative, your choice. Yeah, you know, when somebody says, hey, your cat just died, well, then you have to assign a value to that. You know, that's very, very valuable to me. And let's see, I'm going to assign emotion. I feel very sad or angry, however the case may be. But if your neighbor who doesn't care for your cat heard the same thing, he or she is not going to necessarily have that same value or emotion tied to the cat. So we do it to ourselves. And I think there's where a shaman can come in and identify uh, what you decided for yourself and, and change that. Is that about right? Mm -hmm. It is. And actually I work with the clients so that like they really identify it too. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> I just help them sort of with the verbiage so we can get clear about what the contract is because we do, it's a contract, sure. you know? Absolutely. Um, you know, well, Tom, I was going to say, Tom does a lot of trauma uh -huh. and, I, and, and he's, you know, a clinician in that area. So Tom, does it, is this sound familiar just with different uh, labels? Yeah, very much so. Um, you're right. It's all very subjective how we interpret the experience and that really dictates the impact on our lives. Uh, one of the analogies that I like to use is it's like setting a macro in a computer, right? You have these little sub programs within there. And when you have different experiences, it turns these programs on and you start to have reactions. And half the time, you don't even realize you're doing it. It just happens because it's already been set, but it's at a subconscious level. You're not even aware it's happening. And so yeah. you see people with overreactions at times or maybe they're just upset and you're going, what was that all about? That wasn't a big deal. It wasn't the incident of today. It was the sub program that was started up, if that makes any sense. Absolutely, it does. Yeah. So, if somebody, Gwen, if somebody was going to come in and they said, "Hey, I don't know really what's wrong with me. I'm depressed. I'm just depressed. I just can't. Don't want to get out of bed in the morning. I just don't want to do anything. Life's not going really well." How do you approach that as a shamanic practitioner? Yeah, I would ask them, "Well, what's happening in your life? What's going on? What, 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 um, what do you, what, what's preoccupying your mind? You know, what's." what emotional state keeps coming to you, right? And and they'll say, well, this or that, you know, and we'll figure out what the belief is together. And what I say is that you don't have to look far. We don't have to dig into the unconscious. All we have to do is look at your life because the wounds will are patterns and they rise in the circumstances in your life over and over and over, just different circumstances, right? And some of us wake up and say, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm noticing this has been happening over and over again. I think I want to change it. And so it, with the shamanic work, which is energy work, um, you know, we work with the chakras. I work with the chakras. I work with the soul. And we, we work on this pattern. And there's a belief at the core of that pattern. And once you dismantle the belief and clear the emotions, which is what we do in the first part of the session, we clear the emotions of it, which is really the charge that's, that's sort of uh, the impetus of the whole thing. We clear those out of the chakras. And then I do some really interesting things. I look for, and the thing is, is to come to this work, you don't have to believe anything I say say or do when you're on the table because the work will work so the first thing we do is we identify the belief what is the belief what are the emotions you know that you keep feeling over and over and over again we clear the chakras and then i look at their energy field because as a shamanic practitioner i'm also a seer i can see energy i can feel energy i work with guides and if i can't not feeling it or seeing it my guides will tell me what's there and so the first thing after clearing the chakras is I look for what is called crystallized energies, which is energy of wounds, hurts, that have become more physical in the energy field. And I find them and I clear them. And often what I find when I find the crystallized energy, which are imprints in the luminous energy field at the time of death in a past life. 
So then they hang around until we heal the pattern, until we heal the belief, until we transform that. And so I go in and I can see what it is. It's usually the, um, something to do with how they died. It's either a weapon or a disease, right, that they've died from. And so I'll see that. So I know that that's the object, that's the crystallized energy that I need to remove out of their energy field. And then they, my guides show me the whole past life. And I can say, this is, what, this is how you manifested the circumstances of this pattern, this belief, and this life. And this was the belief that imprinted into your energy field as an energetic pattern um, in your energy field. And I clear it. And I'll go to the next one. Usually there's two to four crystallized okay. energies. Well, a couple and, of things I, I want yeah. to point out is you, may, you said the word chakras. Um, now, for some people listening, they may not actually understand what the heck a chakra is, um, but basically it's energy centers, you know, within the body, outside the body, uh, within close proximity uh, that provide different kinds of input uh, into the field. Uh, so I, I think people need to kind of know maybe where they're located, what they really are. Uh, and then you also talked a little bit about past lives and, and for some folks, um, that's going to be a little outside their their box um, yeah. and haven't really thought much about that. And we want to uh, talk a little bit about, you know, where that philosophy comes from. And, and so people understand, because you're seeing what you're seeing. It's as simple as that. I mean, and and if it comes to you as a past life, well, then I guess it is. You know, in, and even if it wasn't, if it works, where they get healed, so what? You know, I mean... You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, the, the, I was the, gonna, Tom also works with the uh, the emotional code. You talked about emotions within this oh, yeah. in the field, and he works with the emotional code. I'm sure that sounds pretty similar, uh, just cloaked in a whole different, uh, uh, you know, way of thinking. Yeah. There's a lot of commonalities amongst all the different modalities that we're talking about. And maybe it might be easier for the listeners to understand when we talk about those crystallized energies. It's almost like the emotional scabbing. Yes. Like you're trying to heal. Yeah. But it has to be cleaned off to really truly heal. That's right. And what's interesting about crystallized energies is they get heavier and heavier the longer the wound is, no, is not addressed. Absolutely. Right? And so it will manifest in the body as chronic conditions. And if it's there long enough in a lifetime, it will actually get heavy enough to become a disease, right? And so when these crystallized energies are cleared, we're clearing potential um, diseases and imbalances in the physical body. Um, and I'll tell you, more times than once, someone has said to me, um, how did you know that I had a knee issue? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I, you know, I was shown that. And then their knee issue, that was just a chronic, irritating knee problem seems to vanish for them. I mean, the proof is, is, is in the pudding, which is all, why I always say, you don't need to believe in what I'm talking about. You know, you determine that when you're done with your session, um, if it served you or not. Um, so the chakras, you know, there's, there are many different systems concerning chakras in the world, Correct. depending on the framework they come from, whether it's, Hinduism or, or Buddhism or Chinese medicine. Um, they're all different um, and they have different teachings that go along with them. Um, in the practice that I use with shamanism, now not all shamanism uses chakras, right. but the Peruvian shamanism does use chakras and they believe actually they're nine chakras. And in my personal practice, what I've been taught by my guides is that there are 10 chakras. So I work within a 10 chakra system. Mm -hmm. So the chakras are really balls, or I should say, you know, they're references wheels of energy, but I see them as balls of light. And they align in your body, one at the crown or the top of your head, one at your forehead, one at your throat, your heart, your stomach, your abdomen, and then at the base of your spine. Then that's basically the mainstream chakras. It's right. the crown, the third eye. Crown is our, our connection with source. Third eye is our, our intuitive self. 
The throat is communication, listening to ourselves, hearing ourselves, listening to source or God and speaking to God or source and others. The heart is self-love and self-compassion, which is where we learn to give that to the world and to others. The stomach is personal power. The sacral is creativity, intimacy, relationships. The root is basically our basic instincts and our physical being. And so these are energy centers. They each have something to teach us, to um, challenge us with. It is the energy of the soul interfacing with the physical body so that we can have a human experience. Uh, I know I'm a, I'm a big Edgar Casey fan. I know, I know you are as well, uh, Gwen. And um, Casey wants, you know, he's the sleeping prophet for those who don't know. He did over 14,000 readings. He would go into a trance and... Um, give uh, health readings. He would give uh, prophecy. Uh, many of the things you even see on the History Channel today, he, he did. And uh, getting to this point about the chakras, he, he did say to one individual um, about you, how many chakras are there. And, and uh, because they said there's seven, correct. And he said, well, there's actually 12, according to him. He goes, and they go, what's the other ones? He goes, why would I tell you the other ones? You're not even using your seven. And, <laughs> and so, you know, and, you know, so I guess there is a, a sense of having to educate yourself, um, get yourself to the point where you are using those seven, and then the other ones can come along as you advance in your, in your understanding. And, uh, and even from a deep science perspective, I really believe that, um, you know, obviously the allopathic type medicine, you go into the doctor's office for an issue, and they got generally three things they can do for you. One, they give you a pill. Two, they give you an injection. Or three, they cut you open. Um, and from a spiritual point of view, uh, clearly we're not cutting anybody open and we're not giving them injections and we're not giving them medicine. Uh, but we're just trying to work with those energy fields that are around the body that affect all the third body, the, 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 the physical body in such a negative way. Uh, and Or sometimes positive as the case may be. Uh, and I think that's where there's a bit of a disconnect, and uh, and I think Tom will probably talk a little bit about that, having a regular MD looking at something, and they've never been trained in anything like you have, and I don't expect them to be. Um, hopefully, they have an open mind and listen, uh, but if it can't be seen, because all this is mental, you know, and if it cannot be seen, um, they don't necessarily jump into it two feet, but the wind cannot be seen, but you can feel it and see the effects of the wind. Look at the hurricane that came on shore uh, here recently and, and destroyed things. Can't see it, but there's certainly a force there. And I think if people keep that in mind, I think that's helpful. Tom, you got something to add to that? Yeah, I mean, you look at traditional medicine, it was always based on the physical structures. And you see a lot of folks making the shift now to integrative medicine and they talk mind-body, but they're still missing the third component of spirit. And until they get all three pieces pulled together, then they're going to see the, the quantum jumps in their treatments. You know, but yeah. it's, it's, a sl it's a slow road. Mm -hmm. But people are on the right road. They're starting to open up to even having this discussion, which I know when I started in these fields, that wasn't even an option. If you did open your mouth about this stuff, you'd be shunned. So we've come a long way in that whole category, just being able to have this conversation, you know, podcasts like this. And, you know, all three of us uh, all come, we're all well-educated people. Uh, so we didn't, you know, come to this. It, it took a while for each one of us to find our own journey to this spot where we can uh, explore these things, try to validate them, and then try to put it into effect for people who need that. Um, and so I guess uh, the question I would have is, um, we always ask the interesting question, what, what kind of service did you do or, or your interaction with one of your clients that stands out as, wow, that was like, you know, one of my grade A pieces of work, you know, something really positive that occurred um, as you have had all these years of, you know, doing this kind of work. What was that one that stood out and you went, wow, that was, that was really cool? Well, there have been so many, but um, um, not only do I do um, healing work, I also do workshops. I teach a medicine wheel program. It's a year long program. And I started last year, in 2019, I started doing shamanic healing circles. 
and um, we, I had uh, two of my students come who also have their own practice. So we had three shamans in a group of six individuals who would work on healing one individual at a time. And the other people in the group would support that healing while it was happening. And we had a woman in the group who had um, had a falling out with her son. And she hadn't been able to see her grandson in over three years. And she had come specifically to that circle to heal whatever that was, the rift between her son that was causing the rift between her and her grandson. And so it was her turn on the table and she had her healing session and we all took a 15 minute break and she came back into the room after the break. Well, actually I heard her cheering. I heard this cheering happening in the other room and she came back in and she said, my grandson texted me on my break. And, and so it was like, for whatever reason, that particular group really needed to have sort of that proof that something actually was happening in this session. Um, and there's just so many, and so many of, of the healings that happen, I don't ever hear about. And sometimes I'm glad not to hear about it because I don't want my ego to be involved. And this work does not come through me. You know, I, I laugh at myself. I say I'm basically an extension cord. That whatever this energy is, very much like Reiki, it comes through me. And I'm only an extension cord. I'm only a tool. Like, I'm only a tool. <laughs> right? And so I don't know. I don't, I don't always know the impact of it. Right. I do know that a lot of people will send me emails and say that they have been deeply impacted by it. Right. Um, so. Well, you point, you said something about Reiki, just for the folks that don't know what Reiki means, they may have heard of it, but don't know what it means. That's just a Japanese name uh, for Rei, the first part, R-E-I, you know, is related to God or universal energy and the Kai or Chinese Chi. Um, sometimes you might hear that in martial arts and it's related to the light or energy uh, that somebody has. So it's really about God energy. Um, in, in the Christian world, it's about laying on of hands you get three elders, you know, it's in the Bible, you know, if you get sick, you go see the elders and they're laying on hands where, you know, two or three are with you, so am I. It's really talking about that kind of energy, channeling that through and typically through your hands as these are sub chakras, your palms, and uh, it comes through that way. And then people certainly do feel that. I do, I, there's a misconception about Reiki, I think, <laughs> in the American uh, system, they just simply think it's uh, some kind of voodoo or, you know, devil worship or whatever the case may be, when in fact it's just a Japanese name, or the same thing as laying on of hands in the church. Uh, and I want to make that clear to people. It's not anything um, uh, negative. And, uh, and for those that are in the energy work, you know, we just, we know that automatically. But for those who don't, they probably need a little bit of that background. So when we're talking some of the lingo, um, there's people that have never heard of it, you know, just driving around their car listening to this. And, and some may be very advanced and uh, may uh, disagree with what I just gave as a definition, but hey, it's pretty close. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we go from there. So Tom, do you have something on that? I think you've explained it well. I know locally I've heard many people over the years uh, shy away from it out of fear. There's some kind of black magic, as you said, a voodooish kind of thing. And they just don't understand the place where it comes from. Right. I'm sure there are people out there that try to practice in a way that is um, non-conducive to the health of people. I'll, I guess I'll put it that way. So make sure you vet out your practitioners. Take time to find out who they are and what they are before you sign up to do any of it. That's right. Well, keep in mind, Jesus was also um, accused of uh, being a demon, working with demons, you know, and, uh, well, that didn't work out for him. <laughs> that narrative <laughs> was false. And uh, we see a lot of that in the news media these days. So I think people can understand that and uh, um so that's important to know. Now, let me ask you this. Some people think that um, you do get into, uh, I'll call it scary things. Um, is there something that you came across, some uh, scary event that you would uh, you know, want to explain or tell people or maybe give them a word of caution or, or whatever you think you need to talk about? But everybody always asks me that. So I thought I would ask you. Yeah, well, to be a shamanic practitioner, 
means that you sign up to work with energies, both energies that are here on earth and energies that are in the in-between and energies that are in um, heaven. I mean, there's all these sort of varying degrees of energy. Sure. We have relationships with them. And one of the things that, you know, I've worked on for years and been trained in for years is, you know, being a seer where I can see the invisible world as well as I can see the everyday world. And so, you know, in working with clients, um, they bring energies. We all have energies around us, right? Just like we all have friends around us. We have friends that are wonderful. And then we may have a couple of friends that may be a little questionable. <laughs> Maybe their, you know, motives aren't that great. Maybe they're, you know, the drinking buddy that you go out with. Or, you know, we have all these kinds of relationships, some that are beautiful and some that are not so, and some that may even, you know, keep you down. And so we see this in the spirit world and in reality. Um, and then we have relationships with the, the beautiful, with, with archetypes, with Jesus, with angels, with, you know, our grandmother who passed, who we love so much. So we always have these relationships happening. So in shamanism, one of the things that we work on is if you've had a trauma, you know, have you um, in that resonance or that vibration of that wound, have you attracted a like energy? Because that's a, that's a, a law in the universe. Like attracts like. Right. So I'm attracting beautiful things that are within me, and I'm also attracting the wounded things, the trauma as an opportunity to heal it, to become aware of it, and to grow out of it and transform it. And so part of the work that I do in a healing session is looking to see if there are energies in your energy field attached to you that aren't serving you. I always use this example. You know, whales swim in the ocean, in the salt water of the ocean, and barnacles will adhere and attach to their skin. And they have this shared experience together. And if that whale all of a sudden had this instant evolutionary leap and could swim now in fresh water, those barnacles would drop off because they wouldn't be able to survive. So energies like this organically drop off as we grow and evolve and become more whole. And we can hire an energy healer or a shamanic practitioner, and they can help us make a faster um, healing or a faster sort of evolutionary leap. And those energies that have attached to you around trauma or drug addiction or deep depression, um, and there are many reasons why they attach to these like resonances, they also organically drop off, or they drop off faster with the help of the healing technician. So if, if somebody was saying, well, how do you actually do this? I mean, if I come to your practice, there's going to be smoke floating around. Am I going to have to get dressed in some kind of a costume? I mean, you know, they get all these wild ideas in their mind um, to maybe put them at ease. How do you actually go in to see what's around them? I mean, what kind of a mind state do you have to be in? And then what do you expect from them? Do they just, just sit there or do they need to be in some kind of a meditative state? Or, you know, if I was going to be your patient today, Lord knows I probably need it, but um, if I was, what can I expect? <laughs> so it's almost like going to see a life coach or a spiritual counselor. You don't have to come in in any particular state. I often ask clients, just notice what's bubbling up from inside of you before you come for the you know day or two beforehand. And and so what do I do to prepare? Well, you know I I do I've got a very a very healthy meditation practice. And I do a lot of clearing myself, a lot of healing work um, for myself because, um, you know, a mechanic, a race driver has a, has a mechanic, right? To make sure that the engine of his car is going to run so he can win the race. Well, I'm a tool. I'm a tool. And so I need to keep that tool, you know, clear. And so what I do, I take very seriously. And I'm very responsibly. So I'm always doing my own work, um, my own awareness building, my own transformational shift um, on the inside. So, you know, with the energies that come, with, I had um, about six months ago, I had a, 
I had a client schedule and I'm preparing, you know, I'm, I'm doing a little meditation. I prepare anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour before I see a client. And so during that prep time, um, a, a woman comes in. Now she's a spirit. She comes in and she says to me, and her hair is wild and she's wearing this like blue gown and she's, she's crazy. <laughs> and she goes, I am the wild woman. And she was, <laughs> and you know, she had a lot to say. And I finally had to say, listen, you have to stay outside my office for a minute. I, you know, when, when you're wh whoever it is to you, whenever she comes, you can then come into the session, but you are way in the way right now. <laughs> and I have to get ready to do this. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that it was her grandmother who had died, who in the final months and weeks of her life had, had lost her mind. And I described exactly what she looked like, exactly who she was. And she had come to be part of the healing. And it was an ancestral healing. And it wouldn't have been able to happen and unfold unless she had been present for that. Um, and she had been in her energy field. She'd been, her grandmother had stayed with her instead of going into the light. She, she hopped on board with her granddaughter, you know? Um, and so before a session, I don't know who will show up. You know, it used to be that they would show up sometimes at night to me, you know, they would let themselves know whether it was great energy or whether it was not so great an energy. Mm -hmm. And I learned boundaries about that. You know, mm -hmm. and I I'm, and I have a certain place in my house that they can come if they need to tell me something. If they need to show up personally, I have a place that they can come. They often will send off the fire alarm in my house, so I know I need to pay attention. So, these energies are very important. Our ancestors come back, you know, and to have an intermediary to help them. I often do what is called in the mediumistic world as mediums, uh, I do a lot of psychopomp, which is therapy with the dead, to help them move on, to help them heal. You know, right. so I have many clients when a client comes in, not just one. Right. And I think, you know, that, that concept might be a little much for some people who can't see, and I'll call it past the veil. Uh, there's a good book out there. It's called The Veil, as a matter of fact, by uh, Blake Healy. He's a, he's a minister. Um, I think he's a Baptist minister. At the last I knew he was in Georgia, you know, wife, children, all that stuff. Um, and I would encourage people who want to learn about that uh, to read that. It's a real short book. You can do it in two evenings, I believe. But he, he gave the, um, a really good definition in that book. He said, it's, you know, driving down the, in a car, you're looking through the windshield to see the road. He goes, but when you're seeing into the veil or past the veil, imagine yourself looking at the windshield rather than through it. And he described that. And I think that was a really good for people who are trying to figure out um, how people do this, you know, how, how mediums, psychics, whatever it is, uh, do this, see beyond the veil. He described it pretty well. I don't know if you have a way you describe it to people. I mean, if you were naturally gifted as a child, I know, I know you have some Native American in your in your bloodstream there, and uh, or just how that came about and so forth. Yeah, I, the first time I saw Spirit, I was six years old. I had uh, gone to uh, an elder aunt's house who I'd never met, and her husband had died, so my mother and I went to help her with all of that. And... Uh, the room I slept in uh, had no, it was a big old rambling house, and the room I slept in had no curtains on the windows. And so uh, when I woke up in the middle of the night, uh, the street lights were, were streaming into the room, and the room was full of maybe 20 to 24 people dressed in clothing from like the 1900s. Of course, I didn't know that it was the 1900s then, because I was only six, but they were in very old-fashioned clothes. And I could see all of them. And they were telling me that they had been in a train accident. And, and I had no idea what I was supposed to do. And I fell back to sleep. <laughs> but, um, and it wasn't a dream. Mm -hmm. um, you don't remember dreams like that from sex. I mean, it was it's just so crystal clear. That was the first time I saw spirit. Mm -hmm. um, were you able to ever track that down to find out where the train I have, was or anything like that? I have like tried. That? I have tried. Mm -hmm. And I... And, I, I, and, and it's funny because uh, my sister 
told me the town um, probably about two years ago, and then I sort of like never got back to it. Now I've forgotten the name of the town again, so I think I need to touch, get in touch with my sister. But, but yeah. Um, the you thing is, those, is, you think those people were still are still wandering? At this oh, they point? definitely were still wandering. Yeah. So, uh, if you were going to get a team or something together and try to help move those people on, you know, into the light. Because um, I always tell people there's just basically two different kinds of dead folks. You got the dead folks that go through the light and perfectly fine. And then the ones that kind of go into the gray, they don't pass through because they feel like they've got something to do, you know, business that's not yet completed. Uh, they want to communicate to somebody. Uh, and I call that the gray, you know, because you got the light. I call it the gray. And because I tell people it's kind of like, you know, like watching an old black and white movie, you know, or Leave it to Beaver or something like that, you know, that old black and white stuff. And it's kind of in that, looks the same as every place else, but it's, um, and, and they get a little lost and they get to bumping around and they tend to repeat things and, you know, those residual energies <laughs> cycling around and that sort of thing. But some of them you can talk to, but, uh, but I don't know, I'll let you go ahead and explain from your perspective how that works. Yeah. Well, you know, there are many traditions that talk about it. In shamanism, we call it the middle rule the in-between, right? In-between here and, and heaven or home, whatever you want to call that. It's been called the bardo, purgatory. I mean, you know, we're very familiar with, with that, that space. Right. And it's not made up just of, you know, people that are confused. It's made up of people with vendettas, with drug addictions, with issues, with, right. you know, all kinds of things, which is why, you know, as a medium um, and shamanism being blended together, you know, we deal with that and we can help people with that, even those who feel bent on, you know, their rage, right? We can help them to lovingly move forward. Now, how would you, let me interject for a second because it brings me to a question that um, I get asked a lot. How would you tell the difference between somebody who's really got a rage and they're really upset with somebody else or somebody's in their house or whatever, and that kind of a entity versus a demon are they one of the same in your opinion or are they have like situations what, what's your take on all that yeah a demon is quite different mm -hmm. um and i have dealt with ancestral energies mm -hmm. um, the one that i i came into my my practice my office uh, was an ancestral energy and it was very interesting because the, the client's grandmother came and the first thing she said to me, she said, I take responsibility. And I had no idea what she was, take, was talking about. And, and what I felt was, she said, I take responsibility. And I thought, well, she's taking responsibility for whatever this wound is in the client. And so this must be an ancestral thing. And then the grandfather came and said, I also take responsibility. So the ancestors were coming to take responsibility. And I didn't know what it was. I started to work with my client, worked with her maybe three or four sessions. And then our fourth session during, during uh, she was sharing. And during the middle of her sharing, she, she popped forward and got dead silent. And her whole face changed. Her eyes got bigger and rounder. And she looked like a completely innocent child. And she just looked at me and I knew what I was looking at, but you know, I'm like, am I really looking at that? <laughs> sure. And the minute I had that thought, now it was sustained probably for about 30 seconds to the point where it was getting to be really like uncomfortable. Like it was my job to sort of interject here. And so I called her name and it broke and she sort of jumped back into leaning back into the chair and began to laugh herself again well that was interesting and i knew what i was dealing with at that point this was an ancestral energy that was powerful so one of the homework assignments she got was to create an altar at home a beautiful altar for her spiritual practice that she was going to begin so i didn't see her for another three weeks or so and so she came to see me and and um I'm working with her and my mind, my thoughts keep getting swiped and I can't remember what I'm supposed to say. Well, I know that the energy is interrupting my thoughts. It doesn't want me to say these beautiful things to my client to help empower her. And that was my first clue. Like, hmm, 
this might be beyond my scope of practice. And then my client said to me, she said, listen, I want you to know something. I set up my altar last night. And she said, those things you see in movies, they're real. I said, what do you mean? She said, you know how they show in the movies that your body, the, body, the person's body gets all contorted and they bend backwards and do all that stuff? She said, that's real because that's what happened to me last night. I was like, oh, okay. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, now I have a great resource. I have a great connection for you, a, a woman who, I didn't say that to her then, but I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to take her to someone who deals with, you know, demonic possession. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I did. And it was a very gentle way of moving her into that reality or that idea, um, mm-hmm. which took not only suggestions in that first appointment, but then a couple of phone calls afterwards as we sort of ended our relationship and she moved into a relationship with someone who's more qualified. Gotcha. Well, I know, Tom, you grew up Catholic and, you know, uh, so a lot of the purgatory limbo, that's common, common knowledge as well as, you know, you hear about demons. Well, even Paul in the Bible, you know, said, you know, our fight's not with the flesh and blood, but with basically, you know, uh, principalities, uh, spirit, if you will. And, and I think there's something to that, obviously, because they're not writing in the Bible for fun. They're trying to tell you something. So I don't know. Did you ever grow up listening to all that, Tom? Oh, yeah, we had those same type of um, storylines, if you will. I have a question for you, Gwen, for those that maybe aren't buying the whole idea of entities and demons and whatnot. Given traditional medicine, traditional psychiatry, some people would say that's just a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. How do you differentiate from your perspective the two? I don't, I don't, I don't think. Um, I, someone comes in and says, I, I think I need some work. And I say, let's have a healing. And if it's a demon, if it's, you know, your uncle raped you four times and just can't leave you alone, let's just deal with it. I generally don't use that terminology. I don't talk about, I don't even, unless I have to, I won't even really tell a client that I'm removing a heavy energy. There's so much around it in mainstream that is just simply terrifying and not true. I mean, I don't, I think it's a rarity that people are possessed really and truly. I think we, that people deal with a lot of heavy energies based on their traumas and their wounds. Um, I really come from a place in my shamanic practice uh, from love, not from fear. You know, even even this energy that came forward presenting as this, like literally this energy was like afraid, <laughs> terrified that I was going to rid them of where they were, right? Even, you know, for me, it's all from God. I don't care what it is. It's all from God. It's just a lower idea of God, right? A lower expression that hasn't been illuminated, that, ha- that has the potential to be illuminated, right? And so, yes, I go in with very firm boundaries, but ultimately with love, ultimately with love. So I ver- I'm very careful with the language that I use, right? And I also believe what the Peruvian shamans believe, which is it's all the beauty way. None of it is accidental. All of it has come to teach us to strengthen us, to evolve us. That's why we came to Earth. This is really a tough place. This is not easy. This is where soldiers come. Anybody here has said, listen, I'm willing to do the hard work. Right, it's very much a cause and effect uh, place to be. You know, it's hot, cold, sweet, sour, you know, that kind of thing. That's how we learn is those contrasts uh, in life. When you have a contrast, you learn very quickly. If you were just on the other side, which was all love, uh, it would be much harder to to learn. But here you learn so very quickly. And uh, so I think that's fantastic. Um, Now, we're going to put your information up on the website at, uh, you know, www.themetaphysicalmysteries.com. But if somebody wanted to find a practitioner, maybe, you know, you said you were in North Carolina, um, they want to find somebody local. Is there like some place they could go to maybe find those folks or, or are they all just hidden away <laughs> in yeah. some corner? Well, there's some truth that they are hidden away, but 
um, I'll tell you now with Zoom, and I was doing Zoom and Skype and phone sessions long before COVID ever came around. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, with healing, um, and this is a concept for people, you know, that we're really learning now and having the opportunity to learn because of Zoom, that it's, you don't have to be in person. Energy is energy. It's not constrained or confined by physical or physicality or by distance. So I'm available. So I'm always going to sort of toot my horn first. Absolutely. But I also toot the horn of other practitioners. You know, my teacher of uh, the Peruvian way said, the world needs a shaman on every corner. The world needs a healer on every corner. So what do you do? You know, go into Google or whatever your search engine is and look up shamanic practitioner. You know, energy healer, uh, Reiki healer, and, and, you know, fall into the faith that whoever it is that you're supposed to work with, they're going to pop up on that screen. Right. You know, you'll end up falling in the lap of somebody that's meant just for you. Yeah, and I'll, I'll reinforce what you said about, you know, being able to do things by distance. Because um, we always are used to going to a regular doctor. They're taking your blood pressure and temperature yeah. and all that sort of thing. And that's right there in person. And it's working that third body. But we're not working the third body. We're working that, you know, the first body, that spiritual body. And, you know, science-wise, we've taken um, human cells in New York and the same human cell in L.A. And if you stimulate one, the other one also vibrates at the exact same time. Well, how the heck does that happen? You know, people are just mesmerized by that. And truly, it proves that, you know, energy is energy and it's, we're all connected uh, at the speed of thought. And, and so this is how people that are in the energy medicine world or energy health world, whatever you want to call it, are able to do things from a far, far distance. And I think that's really important for people to understand. And there is science that have backed it up. Tom, you got any, anything to throw in on that? Yeah, that's a whole couple of sessions in itself, understanding yes. quantum physics right. and such, and probably a topic for a different day, but we are evolving. The science books are being rewritten as we speak. Things Absolutely. that we learned in high school for chemistry and I know. Star Trek come alive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have a device that looks like one of the Dr. McCoy's tricorders. You know, in eight seconds, it tells me what's going on with your biofield. It's just amazing how far we've come. So I think they're taking that um, shamanic uh, concept and uh, rather than they're shortcutting it, shortcutting it a bit. So you don't have to study for years and years. You go buy this tricorder <laughs> and you're, you're waving it in their field. And what you do naturally, they're trying to artificially do now with scientific instruments, uh, which is really fascinating. It'll be interesting to see the nuances because the, the shaman will get a nuance uh, several nuances that I don't know that the mechanical machine will get, but I think it'll give you the generality of what the problem is, where it may be located, and how to get rid of it. And I know uh, Tom gets a chance to do that all the time. It's trying to blend the science with the nuances of the human experience. I think that's the success key. It's not one over the other, necessarily. At some point, it'll be probably more human than machine. But for today, to make that transition from where we've been, into tomorrow, I think the machine needs to be there for people to accept it. Yeah, Which I guess, that would be a question I'd have for you, Gwen, kind of, you know, in thought. If I've been listening to this podcast and mm -hmm. I, I'm on the fence going, mm, you know, sounds interesting, but I'm not sure if I'm buying this yet. What would you I, say to me? I would say that experience speaks louder than anything. And have an experience. Do your own research. You know, it's 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 like what people say about ghosts. You know, you don't you're never really going to believe there's a ghost until you actually have an experience. I can attest to that. Because <laughs> I and I choose not to, but I could spend all day trying to convince you and give you more information, more research, more proof, and more statistics. But that's not going to be as powerful as an experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, Tom and I both come from, you know, an investigative background in, in law enforcement. So it took us a long time to, to get to this point where things that people have told us and uh, so forth that we actually came to believe because one of the introductory things that I got told as a, as a, you know, investigator 
uh, I was asked to do a ghost investigation because they knew I was an investigator. And so uh, a couple of folks that had problems in a building they owned, they said, hey, we got a problem and you know, you're a cop, can't you come and do this? And I'm like, yeah, what the hell? I give it a try, you know, I'm not afraid of anything. I'll go give it a try. And so I did and I was successful at it. And then somebody else asked and somebody else asked and pretty soon I said, you know what? I really think I need to go back to school. Uh, and if I'm going to get good at this, I really need to have that, that background uh, and so forth. And, um, you know, you really discover a lot about yourself in that process of trying to acquire knowledge that's going to be helpful in, in, in what you've stumbled into. And uh, so that, that was fun. It was fun to, to do that. And, and I think once you understand that all these things are truly energies, you know, they're not like some horned devil uh, with a pitchfork waiting to get you. Um, and you just understand the energies are energies and, and you need to be able to nuance that into a good space. Uh, and that's good. And, you know, cause people do ask me, Hey, if, if somebody dies, do they know everything? I said, no, if they were stupid when they were alive, they're stupid when they're dead. It's the same person, <laughs> you know? And yeah. Uh, yeah, if they go through the light, they're going to get a little bit of an enlightenment in that process. But if they hang around that 20% to kind of hang around, uh, yeah, they'll just be the same old Joe Schmo that they were. It just happened to be out of body. And that's what people, I, I, people, I say that's what goes bump of the night, uh, you know, the ghosts, if you will. And um, they're wandering about. And some of them don't even know that they're deceased, which is a story for another day. But especially when you get to the battlefields down in your, your Civil War battlefields down in your area uh, in Gettysburg and all that. And we can talk about that stuff another day. But uh, they don't even know that they're past. You have to convince them that they're actually gone. And so that's always fascinating. So, and then they have equipment. You can actually talk to them now, and and from a scientific perspective, you can you can help them move, and it's that's pretty cool. So, but uh, I think we've uh, covered most of the things that I was interested in. And um, Tom, do you have anything else that? No, I think it's well covered. I appreciate it. You know, taking the time to share your knowledge and your experiences with everyone. It's definitely into a different world that most people don't have any experience with, and. I think your recommendation of give it a try and have the experience and then make a judgment really carries a lot of weight for folks. Hopefully they'll take you up on that thought. Yeah. And let me know that we barely scratched the surface of what shamanism is. Right. You know, if, if you ever, you know, have a sense that you want to call me back to do another one, I'd, I'd love to do it on talking about journeying and how people can almost instantly um, take a, a shamanic tool and begin to use it the second they leave the screen um, that can potentially shift everything. For them. Right. And there is one book I would like to recommend to people. Sure. And it's by an author named uh, Michael Newton, who has written two books. One is the first book, and I, I recommend you read them in order. The first one is Journey of Souls. And the next one is Destiny of Souls. And it talks all about, um, through um, empirical data, it's basically sessions he's had with clients under hypnosis, of what the experience the soul goes through once it passes from physical um, life or through death, and what happens to the soul in between. Once they die, what happens in the spirit realm? It's absolutely fascinating work. And it's a that's, great read and it's easy to read. That's yeah. one of my go-to references as well. Uh, when I get folks that are just getting into the field and I reference Michael Newton's book, Journey of Souls. Yeah, get in and see that and then get the second one if you can. I tell them to get it in audio form because it's a pretty good sized book. I mean, if you're a reader and you like to really hold on to something, that's fine. But a lot of us are very busy. So audio books uh, really help uh, you know, get that information into your brain pretty quickly. And, and yes, that is... Yeah, and also that the veil going along with that. Those are two books I recommend all the time. And boy, I do not recommend books. I mean, I usually don't because I don't like to get recommended. To. So, uh, but if it's but you know, I might read a hundred and recommend one. That's just right. how I do it because I don't want to waste anybody's time, and I'll just want them to know if I do reference something, it's really good. And so, when I'm really glad you you agree with that uh, perspective, you know. So, and and for guys and gals that are listening to this. If you do need a shaman, I'm telling you from personal experience, I've watched uh, Gwen do some pretty amazing things 
and she is top of the heap as far as I'm concerned. As it relates to shaman, she's realistic. I mean, the, the woman's got a master's degree. She's, you know, just certified in all kinds of things with the teacher and, you know, social worker ability, all those clinical things that you need to have for the background, but then really taken her life and went into this uh, field in, in a very uh, forthright manner. I know you studied up in off the Cape uh, in, in Massachusetts where Tommy's from. And, uh, you know, and then you move down into the Carolinas and hey, that's beautiful area and, and so forth. But I will just give my uh, two thumbs up <laughs> for, for Gwen if anybody needs a shaman. And, uh, and if she, like say, if she does not feel comfortable in whatever arena you're looking at, she's got a network of people to reach out to, uh, to try to fix you with just the right person. So very good. Well, thank I'm gonna, you so much for having me. Thank you for being on. Gwen. Yeah. I appreciate it very much. And, uh, we will uh, be in touch, I'm sure. And we'll put your website up and your numbers. So if people need you, they can get a hold of you and, and you. I'm sure we'll have you back for the other experience that you talked about, which will be great. So, and for those of us who are uh, here at the uh, podcast, Tom and I will be back uh, at some point with uh, another uh, really neat guest. Uh, I think the next one we've got up online is a leader of a paranormal group, also from your state, as a matter of fact. And so I think we're going to put some video up with that so people get to see some really interesting things as they have roamed around your state and uh, tried to deal with some of these things we touched just briefly on uh, today. So other than that, uh, from the folks here at the Metaphysical Mysteries, we'll talk to you all later. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay, good stuff.